All right, everyone, welcome to an exciting episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we will talk about one of the most amazing and the most popular show of the year, The Mandalorian. It's, it's so, so nice it's to have so Star good. Wars back. Oh, yes. it's just the best. So, Daniel, I'm sorry. I, I feel like I feel like I'm missing beats. Uh, I feel like I'm trying to 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 express myself, and I just can't do it. I'm just I was so surprised when this show came out. Like I I I was hoping for something amazing, but I was so pessimistically optimistic that. I didn't think anything was going to come of it. I thought this was going to be like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I felt the same way right before, like I did right before um, The Force Awakens or right before Last Jedi came out. And I just didn't want to get hurt again. And I feel like I didn't give this show enough credit. And all of a sudden it came out and, oh my gosh. Did, did anyone else like just get a, a sudden, or did you guys know that this was going to be amazing? And then it just was even more amazing. Like what, am I the only one who doubted this? Uh, yeah, no, just kidding. Uh, I, I feel like I feel like there was a lot of people that doubted it. I mean, let, let's face it. There, there's been some struggles in the Star Wars universe, especially cinematically. We've never really had a live TV show. We've had animated series, but we've never had a live TV show. And, you know, John Favreau is great at storytelling and directing. He's done some great jobs uh, on movies in the Marvel Universe. But we've kind of, I would say we've been a little reluctant with trusting people with this universe. As much as we wanted it out of George Lucas's hands, some of us are kind of have been hesitant with the way it's gone afterwards. Well, and if I may, I think part of that is that when Disney took over the, the majority of the rights, pro tip, they don't have all the rights, but they have almost all the rights. Um, and when they took over the Star Wars IP, they um, they they started Disneyfying it in a certain way. In fact, uh, while I have enjoyed, I, I genuinely have enjoyed the new films. They've surprised me. They haven't they haven't met my expectations, but they've simply like they they changed what I should expect. Right? Like, yeah. um, and and I've tried to give them a fair shake. Uh, and we can talk about that in, in another episode. But the point is that I think a lot of people went in a little he- uh, w- with a little bit of, of trepidation because they were worried that this was going to be the mickified version of of Star Wars. And what's interesting is is um, that the Mandalorian, because it is in the hands of John Favreau, and he is a great storyteller. He is he is doing something that could it really could have gone either way. He is taking the Star Wars mythos and he's wrapping it around every possible spaghetti western trope. Yes, but he's doing it so well that even though these are story these are types of stories that we've come across before. We've seen Clint Eastwood like this. We've seen Ronald Reagan like this. We've seen we've seen Gene Autry in some of this, right? Like. There, there's yeah. this whole history of Western, uh, uh, meaning the genre, not not the geographic location, but the Western genre. We've seen that kind of media all throughout Mandalorian, and it's just done so freaking well. And it's telling a part, uh, it's telling a story of the universe of the Star Wars universe that we've never seen or heard before, and it's solidifying 
things like the Mandalorian religion and and the commitment of the Ugnaught and like, you know, just all of these elements that we never really thought to explore John Favreau is bringing out into the open in such a gloriously beautiful way. No, I agree. And that's one of the things I think is so fantastic about this series is immediately finishing up the first episode. You're like, this is like the best spaghetti Western mashed up with Star Wars. You know, and it was yes, done yes. and executed in such a great way that I think that's really why it's resonated. And not only that, there's other tropes he's using. Uh, you know, like recent episode four was very Seven Samurai. Oh, very. Uh, oh, absolutely. And so then he's taking these components from these movies that worked really well and mashing it into a universe that it should, I mean, really work well in and he's proven that it does and i think that's kind of a something we've missed uh in you know when we're exploring the outer rim of the galaxy of star wars it is definitely very outlaw-ish it is very gritty and dirty like an old western and i think that's why this is working so well it's because it is lawless just like the old west was and that's why i think this is working so well and especially where it's set five years after uh, Return of the Jedi. You know, it's in a very dark period, I guess, of oh, the galaxy. Oh, they, just lost, they just lost, like, their main source of, uh, of government control. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's a free-for-all. That, that first episode, I really like the fact that the stormtroopers, their armor was dirty. They were gritty. Yes. They were paranoid. Like, you know, when you see them in the movies, they're just marching around all over the place like they own it. And they do. But in this first episode, you're paranoid of everything. And I, I love that because it's like, OK, we know we're the we're not really trusted anymore. No one fears us. If we walk around outside, someone's going to gun us down, which I loved. You know, it's kind of like uh, those old West movies where you see the old marshal or the old sheriff it's you know the outlaws are running amok out uh, outside the city and they're just afraid they're afraid to come out they're afraid to do anything well reaching back to what you were saying how he's combining different tropes not only is he combining tropes from westerns uh and and classic films like the seven samurai uh he's also reaching back to the basic mythos of star wars because myth yeah. the star wars originally was supposed to be a fantasy with a with a wizard. It was that classic adventure. Yeah. It wasn't trying to be Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, it was a space opera, really. Uh, yeah. I mean, even Empire Strikes Back, they weren't trying to be Star Wars. They just were Star Wars. And yeah. by doing it this way, yes, he's he's living in that in that universe, but he's telling these classic stories in a classic way. He's just doing it, paying respect to the Star Wars universe, to everything that's come before, even right down to the Star Wars Christmas special. My gosh. Yeah, that very brief reference to Life Day, like, yeah. I laughed out loud. I thought it was fantastic. Well, that it was, just, it was one Oscar, sentence. The main, the, the rifle, that, that's right out of the, the Christmas special, too. I just, I'm, I'm so surprised that so much came out of that. Well, I mean, the rifle is also, you also see that in the old droids cartoon. Uh, that's, Boba Fett has one on his back. Yeah. Uh, and so he's definitely pulling. I mean, this is how Star Wars should be done. There's all this expanded universe knowledge, all these past cartoons, um, 
comics and they're t- he's t- it seems like to me he's taking key components out of those and bringing them into the universe you know using that sandbox and i hate to say this you know with kathleen kennedy having that interview where she's like you know we don't have all these backstories and things to use and comic books like you know referring to marvel and these are all original stories and like <laughs> the entire internet exploded like you had an entire extended universe you threw out. You do have that. Use it. I mean, that's, and I feel like John is doing that. Um, yeah, I think that the advantage that John Favreau has is kind of interesting because, um, you know, when George Lucas, every time he's he is the original creator, of course, and at, at the time that he made Star Wars in the 1970s. Um, there was a certain amount of necessity that begat innovation, right? In fact, um, in fact, the whole reason ILM exists today is because he had to basically found that company while he was making A New Hope because they had to make a a computer-controlled camera rig so that he could consistently get the flyovers done correctly so he could do all the composites with the TIE fighters and blah, blah, blah. Um, Because of the necessity at the time to be innovative, he ended up telling the story in a very particular way that – later down the road we would find out was not the way he wanted to tell the story but is the way he had to tell the story but the way that he had to tell the story created this beautiful mythos that was actually incredible and, it, and it's begat this whole fandom over the you know in for over for over over 40 years it's 42. been more than yeah if that's the right answer isn't it um <laughs> and so uh, what's interesting is that every time george lucas goes back and touches it he he tries to change it in some way that actually degrades its core. It actually breaks yeah. it down and makes it less. And, and it's for artificial reasons. But John Favreau is not coming at it from the perspective of the creator, from the perspective of this was my original vision and it's not the way I wanted it done, so now I'm going to change it. He's coming at it from the perspective of I am a fan. I am a child of the Star Wars era, and I'm adding to the universe from the perspective of a fan, not from the perspective of the creator forcing a vision that doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, let's not forget, I mean, George, for those first couple movies, had a lot of people that he still had to answer to. He yeah. still had to adjust his vision to match more in line with what the studio wanted, with what uh, the director of any particular film wanted. Uh, but by the time episodes one, two, and three came along, he was so powerful, he was, in all essence, yes, the creator, the god. He could do whatever he wanted, and without that, that, that check, it, it, and I know I'm a Ghostbuster guy. But it reminds me of Dan Aykroyd's original vision for Ghostbusters, which was set in the future. They had flying cars, and they were basically plumbers that would clean up ghosts in the supernatural. It was not a a concept that really would mesh with as wide of an audience as it did. And so having those other creative uh, types who can give that input, who say, let's pull this back to something more relatable and we get amazing stories like empire strikes back we got return of the jedi which i know a lot of people don't love as much as i do that's okay oh i love these incredible stories of cell of of not salvation (laughs) of of redemption redemption on darth vader's part and it's so powerful and i feel like we lost that when when he did have control like what you were saying but now going back to filoni you're right he's not seeing this from the point of the creator he's seeing this as a true fan, someone who has always loved this mythos and is now so excited to play a story. I mean, he did such amazing work with Iron Man. He oh, did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, 
the, the power here is that John Favreau is writing the stories and he's getting very talented directors to, to, to actually make the vision real. Right. Yeah. As opposed to trying to wear every hat, because you're right. It injects a certain amount of bias and limits the creativity flow. Whereas if you have someone who is focused on a particular um, role in the production cycle, um, you can you can lean on each other for your creative expertise and you'll bring together if you're willing to work together and not simply dictate, then you'll create something together as opposed to I have one tyrant dictator who is making all of this happen. And it's a it's a it's a monochromatic vision as opposed to this 16 million color vision, you know, well, yeah. I mean, even going back to the, the fourth episode. So Sanctuary. Uh, it was Bryce Dallas Howard that was the director of that episode. Totally Ron Howard's me. daughter. Totally yeah. shocked um, me when I saw that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, for those of you that can't don't really know who she is, you know, she's the redhead and that's uh, running in high hills in Jurassic World. Um, yep. Yeah, obviously, she has gotten some of her her father's talent. Uh, you know, that's 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 kind of cool. I mean. Her dad finished out. Her, her dad finished out solo, and now she's done an episode here. I mean, how cool is that to say, "Hey, Dad, uh, I get to direct an episode of uh, Mandalorian and kind of follow in your footsteps." Now they have some Star Wars credit underneath. Um, <laughs> but I, I do like the fact that he, yes, he's writing. He's kind of being the, I, I think, the executive producer. But at the same time, he's not doing all of directing. He's giving it to others to kind of, like you said, not be the dictator over the whole thing and work creatively with these people. And I, I think it's really working because we've seen some fantastic episodes. Not only that, we've, you know, the internet exploded with the discovery of a certain character. We can say spoilers at this point, right? Well, if I mean, they haven't seen it at this point, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, it's pretty, pretty it's out there. Everywhere. You know, the, the character of the child. Um, yeah, I like yeah. the fact that they're still keeping the name secret of what Yoda's race is, but at least dubbed it a name. Um, as far as my knowledge, there's only been four actual characters of this race that have appeared. Yadel, Yoda, the child, and Vandar that was in Knights of the Old Republic. Um, but Vandar is now no longer canon, right? See, that's, that's where it's really hard to, to say if that is true, because the Darth Bane books are canon. And in the Darth Bane books, Bane discovers Revan's holocron, and Revan is the one that teaches Bane the rule of two. So that has to give me some, um, you know, s some idea that Revan exists. And if he exists, then somehow they have to make that canon. Not only that... The Rebels cartoon series made Alicor 5 canon because they went there, and that's where Revan's final stand was in the Mandalorian Wars. So. Well, I'm not saying – so I, I, I don't believe that they've made everything canon. I believe they're picking and yeah. choosing, uh, just like uh, they did with – what is it? Um, the Hammerhead Cruisers. We've seen those. Yeah, we've those seen are very Cruisers. We've seen Thrawn show up. I would but just really like to see. Very different capacity. Yeah, I would just like to see uh, more of that race. And I know they're very xenophobic. They very rarely leave their planet, and that's kind of what uh, Lucas's whole thing was. And 
I would like to know what the race is, but yeah, we'll have to see I mean, as this unfolds. But definitely, everyone, well, not everyone, a lot of people thought the pork were cute. <laughs> and now I think the pork have kind of died. Uh, I think yeah, there's, right. a new, there's a new cute uh, being on the planet. Uh, too bad George Lucas decided that cute being when he was doing the, the prequels with Jar Jar Binks. Boo. Um, and naming oh, a boy beautiful. Annie. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but you know the pork were definitely adorable. Uh, a lot of people still love them, and then we have this cute little uh, alien thing that loves to eat frogs in front of people. <laughs> Anything with bones. Anything. No, with uh, bones. <laughs> um, you know, again, kind of just extolling the virtues of this show. Uh, I think what I th- the way that they've made this accessible is they've they have made sure to only reveal certain things about the, or a certain quantity of information points in each episode. Like in the first episode, we learn about Beskar steel and, and we learn a little bit, we get a little bit of exposure to the Mandalorian tribe. It's not really viewed as a faith yet until we get to episode two. Um, And, understanding the nature of Beskar steel like right away that's sort of like the focus in terms of in terms of lore of the world Beskar steel is the focus of that episode but right. we also learn about um aversion to droids in general we learn about uh, that, that it's not just a woohair at on moss eisley who doesn't like droids in his place it's actually sort of like um androidophobia you know in a way yeah um but that makes so much sense, especially as we find out about the Mandalorian's character over that, especially that first three episode arc. That really is all about the steel. Oh, yeah. It's all about the Mandalorian's character. I mean, it's all yes. about that discovery. Sorry, go on. I didn't mean to, to interrupt and oh, no, distract. Just... In, in fact, in episode one, we also meet uh, an IG class bounty droid, which I think IG? actually. Yeah, IG 11. Right. Uh, no, you're right, IG 11. And um, in fact, when I first saw him, I was like, "Ooh, is it actually IG-88? But it's not. Um, but uh, but but seeing that that droid in action adds oh so much flavor to the history of Star Wars. And there are little things they do like that throughout every episode in just the right quantity so that it's accessible and synthesizable and the audience can keep up. I'm going to jump in on the IG droid. So the IG droid I've always found is probably one of the most dumbest droids in the world. You know, you never really saw it do anything, and it just looked awkward and clumsy until this episode. Yes. I think the IG droid is a freaking amazing assassin droid. The fact that it was spinning around and firing at different angles – until that point, I thought this was a worthless droid. And now it's like, oh, my gosh, the things this thing could do. Now I really regret I never got an IG droid. I've been afraid of the IG droids ever since Shadows of the Empire. He yes. was the hardest boss for me to beat. He was so hard. Yeah. That was, on, that was the N64. That was the only other time. But that was a video yeah. game. So never in yeah. live action do we see it. So I agree with you there. No, but, but my I thought. Mean, but when I saw him in action, like you were talking about, like the way that, that basically his entire body, every articulation point has a 360 rotational degree, right? And so yeah. so every articulation point can go in any direction it needs to go. His optics are segmented so that he oh. can actually view 
in different modes, 360 at all times. My no joke, my first thought when I saw it in action, besides this is freaking awesome. Uh, okay, so I guess my second thought, my second thought when I saw him in action was, wow, he's better than Terminators. He's better yeah, at yeah. killing living things than a Terminator. And the Terminator is built just for that purpose, and he's better at it. This is yeah. great. My only complaint about him was the stupid self destruct thing. Keep bringing that up over and over and over. I oh. found that hilarious. Oh, I, I, I actually laughed every time. Played into. I, I, I enjoyed that part. Yeah, I, I, I found I it annoying, but that's okay. I, you know, I just I wanted a, a serious assassin droid, and that seemed like that was this, the joke. Um, kind of like with PPO, always just blabbering on and on and on. But it's okay. That's okay. Illusions of grandeur. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, actually, you know what was interesting is that in the in the opening scene of episode one, we hear Mando, which is for those who don't know his nickname because we don't know what his real name is. Um, uh, we hear Mando say, "I can take you in warm, or I can take you in cold," and they yeah. never say it again until episode four, when another bounty hunter says that, and there's like this little throwback. Yeah. Was, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was five. You're right. You're oh. right. It was five. Um, and, uh, what's interesting, what that tells me, especially because John Favreau is at the helm of almost all of this. Um, it tells me that if, if they, you know, they, they took that self-destruct sequence and they made it a joke and I actually did find it humorous. I can hear what you're saying, but I found it humorous. And, um, I, I wonder if before this season is over or maybe into season two, cause you know, there's going to be like 10 seasons of this show. Um, <laughs> I wonder if that's going to come in handy. It's almost like a Chekhov's gun effect where it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, we saw it in episode one. Don't worry. By the by, the climax, we will use that to our advantage. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and the I other really like to see cool... all of these characters, these these aside, aside, I don't want to call them friends. I would say these uh, temporary partnerships that he keeps making. I hope we do see them all come back in some kind of, I don't want to say crew capacity because he is a, he's, He's a solo act, right? He is. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to see them all work together in a true magnificent self. Oh, I, I, I can watch. I could watch eighty-four episodes of Gina Carano alongside Mando. <laughs> you know that was a great. I love the way they introduced. You know, they they get into this fight, this all-out brawl. You know, and they finally and, and it ends in a stalemate with both of them, guns pointed at each other, and then there's the child there, just sitting there eating his soup. Just like watching it, like cool. This is awesome. Uh, it was just it, everything they've done. I mean, chapter four or the fourth episode was a little slow, but it was something that we needed. We got more details into the character Mando. Um, we definitely got to see uh, some really cool things. I mean, when was the last time anyone seen you know an ATS an ATSD fight without? some jedi or something around i mean last time Actually, was um return of the jedi if i yeah. remember in fact it's the only time we've really seen it outside the video games right it's the only time i mean i, uh, I guess episode... i guess in rogue one but yeah you know, we do I, kind I, uh... of see the a version a pre-version of them in the prequels but it's again around a jedi yeah, and and it's and it's sort of lost in the blaster porn of yeah. of the prequels, where like so much is going on that you have to choose something to focus on, and you can't take in the the clone soup that's going on. Um, yeah. And and to your point, I because I, I thought about this too. My wife, who is not nearly as big a Star Wars fan as I am, 
um, she and I both had this comment to make about episode four. You know, in episode one, we saw the IG droid and how lethal and dangerous they are. And, and, it, and it added so much jeopardy to that creation. The ATST in episode four was truly terrifying. Yeah, it was truly a threat and it was a real problem. And there were no little tiny cuddle bears to to crush the thing with its logs. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's the thing I, I really liked. We didn't have the Ewoks rushing in. Granted, they're going to show up in episode nine, but they let you know where, you know, how they're going to defeat this thing. You know, it, it doesn't see very well into this this pit and we'll take it out but even then it stopped it didn't work out flawlessly that's that's another thing i loved about the episode is things didn't work out perfectly um and it, like it seems it always does in a star wars movie mm. things mess up um, that's so they're that's not really perfect that is one thing that i love that they've done with this character is that he falls down a lot oh, yeah <laughs> He gets beaten up a lot, and I appreciate that. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, his his gadgets fail. He <laughs> takes damage. Um, you know they and they've done on they've done enough to like basically tie him off so that he can be self sufficient for a time. But he's not ever truly one hundred percent self sufficient. In every episode, he he's linked up with somebody else out of necessity. Yeah. Well, the one thing I I. I... And I don't know if this is a hidden reference or if this was blatantly put in there, but I really feel like he's a traditional D&D character because it seems like he goes out. <laughs> goes to a bar. Goes to a bar, gets his gets his, uh, his job, goes out, succeeds, come back, gets a new piece of armor. Goes out, yeah. gets, gets a weapon upgrade. You know, it's a traditional thing. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of fun. It, you see him slowly upgrading himself, getting better armor, I do love the fact that he does get the crap beat out of him. You know, he's scanning on that the, the planet, and before he gets the the child and that giant lizard creature thing, like knocks him over and like chomps down on his arm. Uh, <laughs> the blur, the blur. That's what it is. Uh, then we then we defeat meet the the Nick Nolte Ugnot. Um, <laughs> I, have spo- I have spoken. It's just. <laughs> You know, you you want to hate that character, but at the same time, it's like he's just like I've spoken. That's it. There's no more fighting with this guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. This uh w- this show, I think, because of the way it's been crafted, not only are they telling such an like an unexplored branch of the Star Wars universe, they're telling it in an accessible way. They're appealing to all audiences. And what's inter- which is very hard to do and to do well. You yes. can appeal to a lot of people, but it usually comes back as super cheese. That's what we see when we look at like Hallmark holiday films, right? You're, yeah. you're making safe choices. You're trying to appeal to the mass. Um, or you can perform a lot of fan service or you can appeal to a certain taste. But when you do that, now it becomes a subculture. And somehow Mandalorian has found a way to be wildly and widely... Uh, accessible and I, I I could be mistaken but I feel like Mandalorian is either generating and or resuscitating new Star Wars fans right um, fun fact on December 3rd so a handful of days prior to this uh, to this episode that we're recording right now uh, an 
an article came out on Business Insider, and the and the, the headline is The Mandalorian on Disney Plus is the top TV show in the world. Yeah. It's 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 amazing. <laughs> they are the top show in uh, on the globe. There is nowhere on this planet that this show isn't number one. Well, and the only other show that's actually kind of gotten this much success. Interesting. Wait, hang on. Uh, we lost you there for a second. Say that line again. Oh man, that's okay. I, I my machine. I was just saying, uh, the only other show that's come close to this amount of critical acclaim has been Stranger Things. And I, I can see that. It's just blown it out of the water from there. Again, Star Wars has always been a success. Disney was smart in picking it up. The problem has been their execution, and I think right now they've found the right execution. I know, you know, they have licensing issues, uh, and we've kind of talked about this previously. You know, part of those licensing issues, Lucas owns the rights of the image and name of Han Solo, Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker, the Millennium Falcon with a circular dish, and anything else from the original trilogy. So that's kind of why we're seeing these main characters being killed off, because as much as of having them around, is still paying Lucas back for using them, um, which is a brilliant marketing strategy and a business strategy. Um, but as fans, we hate that because there's all these extended universe things we want to see. But I think The Mandalorian is giving us that new expanded universe that we love, we want, we crave, and in a way that respects us as fans respects what we want and it's not this you know what we got with the last jedi enjoyed the, the film but it definitely was kind of a big middle finger to a lot of us fans in a way no i can yeah, see that and oh go ahead go ahead oh i was just gonna say and yes i agree um like i i loved the movies that have just come out the last two movies uh as films just not as necessarily star wars films i feel like they were made by very intelligent filmmakers who understand film and understand story and they have told very well uh, they've told stories very well but living and playing in the star wars universe and respecting that source material i don't feel that they really understood the star wars source material as much as a fan like we have in john favreau or dave filoni who is also working on this project um i know we've talked a lot about john favreau but uh we also need to to discuss Dave Filoni and his input. Uh, he has made such amazing strides with the Clone Wars uh, animated series and Rebels, uh, and now he's working on. Let's leave it to those guys, right? Clone Wars and Rebels. Those are the two that everybody really has taken to uh, and just fallen in love with, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it occurs to me, kind of. I I think I think. If we kind of listen back to this episode, we'll find out that what we're saying is that at the heart of Star Wars, the thing that makes Star Wars great is really the fandom, which is kind of a weird thing to say. The mythos should generate the fandom, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. But but it's almost like George Lucas put this thing out into the world, and then the fans grew it from that point out, right? Um, and... And anytime someone tries to mess with that ecosystem, 
uh, when they try to cut the fans out of the process, then we start getting lackluster material. And it occurs to me that um, uh, Boba Fett, who originally appeared in A New Hope but then was cut out from that scene uh, where where Han meets Jabba and Jabba's a fat Welshman, um, and and uh, and then we see Boba Fett for the first time in theaters in Empire Strikes Back, and he's a total bamf. But just by his mere presence, he doesn't really do much, right? He's just he's he he's someone who can stand up and speak to Vader almost like an equal, and that makes him stand out. Plus, he looks super cool. He's he's a walking, talking Decepticon, and then and then we get to Return of the Jedi. And he's, you know, he's in Jabba's palace and he's like nodding at, at uh, Leia dressed as Bosch and all this other stuff. He has these little tiny tidbits. And there have been, I remember years ago being on a DCR episode where there was this great debate that Boba Fett is not that cool, that he's not that important <laughs> and that he's just this auxiliary thing. And the truth is that that argument holds water to a certain degree. Boba Fett was not intended to stick around or to even be a major player in the universe. He was meant to go into the Sarlacc and never come out, and that was it. But the fans liked him so much, just his presence, his appearance, his demeanor, his threat, his jeopardy, all that stuff, his mystique, right? It's it's like It's like instead of making High Plains Drifter with Clint Eastwood, you made some other Western, and in the background was the High Plains Drifter, right? That's exactly what happened. And the fans stood up and they said, no, 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 you can't kill this guy. And then the fandom sort of resurrected him out of the Sarlacc pit or because of their fervor, he was brought out of the Sarlacc pit. His story was built. And now we have a show titled after his, you know, one word existence, Mandalorian, um, because it needed a name. What is that? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's a Mandalorian. Uh, <laughs> and... And now it's the number one show in the world based on a character that was not supposed to survive. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he, he is a great character. And, you know, even with him showing up in Empire, um, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, we now know why Vader points at him and says no disintegrations uh, because yes. of the series. When yeah, I this saw show that, shows was, what that means. Yeah. yeah. When I saw that for the first time, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I was just screaming in a good way. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, and then the whole scene where he's climbing up the side of the sand crawler. Yes. Totally, <laughs> totally felt like a Monty Python moment. Um, it was actually I loved I loved that whole thing. Again, spoilers, y'all. But like he showed his uh, his aptitude at being yeah. a hunter and a stalker and a fighter and a survivor. He's climbing up this sheer face vehicle. He's rolling out of the way of, of, of rock faces that are coming after him. He gets to the very top. And I kind of want to turn this into like a gift meme where it's like, you know, a pro player in an MMORPG is, is in a PVP scenario where he comes across a group of nothing but noobs, but there's so many of them. Yeah. That they just lay waste to the pro. <laughs> You know, it was it was this great moment. He gets to the top, and here are all these little munchkins with rifles, and it's just fantastic. It really was. It was a beautifully played out scene. The character was amazing, uh, and it was realistic. I hate to say that, like, but yeah, the, the these little Jawas are like throwing things down, trying to shoot him, trying to brush him off the yeah. side, and he is. He is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, he's and it, he's. You're right. He's believable. Or that scenario, you know, it's in a galaxy far, far away. And that scenario was completely believable. 
<laughs> no, I agree. They totally, I love how they just completely just took everything from the ship. That was just, uh, they stripped it. That was just great. My, my, uh, a coworker of mine pointed out that the Jawas are scavengers, but they're professional scavengers. And so they don't remove things destructively. They believe very much like, um, the, the expression use the whole Buffalo. Like when they scavenge, they scavenge to take things that are useful and of value, but not to destroy. And the Ugnaught is almost the exact opposite of that. The Ugnaught is a great builder and repairer. They're incredibly technically proficient. So the foil of the, um, you know, alien speaking, shrouded, um, not really fully seen creatures that steal your things versus the Nick Nolte Ugnaught, who's completely out in the open. You can speak with him in common and and he's all about fixing things. It's a very it's this beautiful yin yang uh, between the Jawas and the Ugnaughts and the Mandalorian gets to experience both sides of that coin. Well, and the thing I like is you actually get to see Jawas on more than Tatooine. You know, uh, a lot of people know that the planet died and they were scattered. Um, yeah. So they're, they're living off of what they can on whatever planet they've been able to, to, to land on. And yet their technology is still the same. They're still common. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they're well known. And they're 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 well despised, but they're also well utilized. Yeah, you know they're um, they're a very interesting race. I would love to see something more on Jawas. Um, you know. I think just seeing inside the, the 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 not the cockpit, yeah, the cockpit of their little under like the, sand crawler. I, w- I would love to see what they look like underneath their hood. I mean, really, we've never really seen them other than their glowing eyes and this brown robe thing. Um, I yeah. hope we don't. I, I love that mystery. Again, I think it adds to their character, and I, I feel I mean, like yes. really, it, it is cool. The, yeah, the mystery I, part. I, I do. I I hear what you're saying because I've had those same feelings. I'm like, I wonder what they look like underneath. But I do love the Hitchcockian. You don't have to see it to understand it. Approach, right? Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, especially that episode. They seem kind of like a little gang. I mean. Especially when he pulls up and they're like demanding. I mean, you know, they're ready to to, to start firing on him. Um, for the Ugnaught. But again, it's just great writing. Uh, it is to sheer understanding of the universe, understanding your fan base, your the viewers, and understanding how to relay a great story that is in entertaining interesting and at the same time has enough hooks in it that makes it so that those same viewers want to come back for the next episode and the next episode because frankly in this day and age with netflix we get the whole season and we binge through it we're waiting week after week for this show and as much as it kind of annoyed me at first i really like it i like the fact that i can watch an episode and i get to build up that anticipation for the next following week I absolutely agree. And and, it, and it's pure coincidence, but how wonderful it is that the season finale is on my birthday. So <laughs> yeah, lucky. that's, that's awesome. okay. <laughs> you know, I, I I get to watch one episode, go to Galaxy's Edge, and then come back and watch the final episode. Hey. Uh super jealousy. Yeah. I'm I'm still trying to figure out which one I'm looking forward to more. Seeing the conclusion of uh, season one of of this show, 
or seen the next Star Wars movie. Honestly, right now, The Mandalorian has topped my excitement uh, of the Star Wars, uh, the Skywalker movie. Like, it's just... Yeah, you know, um, to be honest, I don't care. It's Star Wars, and I'm happy. I mean... Oh, I'm happy that it's there. I'll go... I'm, I'm going to go see it. I'm excited to see it. But I'm more excited about seeing more development of this 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 Mandalorian, this character who is... Oh, is trying to figure out his place in the universe, trying to figure out, trying to fight against his, uh, his, I love his anxiety and his anger towards all droids. I hate, I, I love his hatred, you know? It just, yeah. and it makes perfect sense with his character and how he's written, and I just, I'm excited. I'm excited to see uh, this I, development I, progress. I think I hear what you're saying, because as I'm taking a personal inventory, I think I'm with you. I'm not sure. I, I feel like they're equal excitement, they're just different excitement, right? Like because um, I, after seeing the the teaser and the first trailer for Episode Nine, uh, the last, the Rise of Skywalker. Um, thank you. I almost screwed that up. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even say it, so you know. <laughs> after seeing just the teaser and the first trailer for Rise of Skywalker, I have purposely put myself um, on like an on a complete embargo of watching anything else. I have purposely abstained from anything because I want to go in with as few expectations and as, and as few, you know, um, scenes and shots in my eyes as possible. I was, I loved seeing the reveal of Billy D Williams. And um, like, I literally like the first time I saw that trailer, I, I was on the edge of tears. It was just so beautiful to me as a star Wars fan. I didn't want anything else to happen because my experience has been the more trailers I watch, the more it ruins my, my experience. So I'm, I have a high level of anticipation, just excitement and curiosity that I'm purposely nurturing right with mm -hmm. mandalorian they've gone five episodes flawlessly nearly flawlessly i suppose but i'm gonna i'm gonna go on a, i'm gonna go out on a limb and i'm gonna say flawlessly and i and i really hesitate to say that about most things they flawlessly executed five episodes they've got three more to go for this season and i feel like i can trust them like i can just put my star wars heart in their hands and they're not gonna break it yeah, yeah. no it's just it's, it's such an amazing series I do find it surprising that uh, episodes one, two, and three, they felt more like a beautiful story arc right there. That was just such a perfect story arc. That would have made a perfect movie in and of itself. And then episode four was good on its own, but I didn't feel like it was like a trilogy part, you know? It was like yeah. one, two, and three. No, you're right. The first three episodes are a consummate trilogy. In fact, it's almost it's almost Greek tragedy, not quite Greek tragedy, but like Greek theater-esque in its structure, right? Um, it episode one introduces the characters and introduces the MacGuffin, if you will. Episode two is about increasing the jeopardy and the hero, you know, has to really struggle. And then episode three is sort of like the, the overcoming of those personal obstacles. But the way that episode three ends, it's now opened up a whole new can of worms, right? Yeah. So that, yeah, those first three episodes are this great trilogy. You're right. They could just be their own film. Although if you think about it that way, now that you mentioned that, Episode four, in a way, it, it, it's kind of like it was building, right? It, it's the uh, the Aristotelian plot line. We've got the beginning, the middle, uh, the bit rising action, and we've got the climax in the sin. Sanctuary is almost a falling action and a denouement leading up to a new story. You're absolutely right. And it's interesting because the, the first three episodes, love them. I, I, I love all four episodes, but the fourth episode to oh, me... Yeah. The fourth episode to me, I think, 
I think of, of those four episodes, I think the fourth one is the one that falls flattest for me personally. Oh, um, I agree. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I love Bryce Dallas Howard. I was super shocked when I found out that she was directing that episode. But like, just like we were talking earlier about how we've, t- uh, you know, uh, John and Dave and all, all the creatives uh, behind this have taken the Star Wars mythos and, and wrapped it around um, every Western trope. The, the village saving stranger um trope in this particular case and and the lonely widow who falls in love or if you will and you know that the the lonely widow story in fact to be honest with you if they had not had the lonely widow trope i think i would have liked episode four a whole lot more i mean as far as with four it's it definitely felt like a filler it was a filler episode they crammed it between one story arc and another I mean, it did bring out some good points. We did get some character development, but in reality, TST. you could skip that episode and it would still be fine. That's I don't know. Sad, I love you know. Cara Dane. Or Cara, Cara Dune? Cara Dune. I yeah. love Cara Dune. Her character's fantastic, but I mean, without seeing the rest of the series, it almost feels like this is an episode you could skip and it's not going to really affect much of the story for you. Yeah, I mean, the, the Gina Carano element... Um, loved it. Love, love, love the ATST. I felt like that really added so much value to things we saw in our childhood. Um, the the saving of the village, that's the that's the motivator, if you will. Um, the only thing I really took exception with was was the lonely widow story because it made no sense. There was no time. They've done such a great job of developing character along the way, and this one felt so shallow. Um, but all that said, even with that gripe, episode four is a fantastic episode. It's just good TV, right? It's yeah. it's 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 good cinema. Um, so yeah, I of the four episodes, the fourth one is the weakest in my opinion, and it still had resounding value. All right. So with that said, uh, let's give a letter value or a letter grade to the four episodes of the first half of this season. And then we'll come back uh, at another time to give our grades of the next five. And then, of course, what, how we felt of the, the full season, uh, season as a whole. Um, so who wants to start off? Uh, I'll be bold and I'll jump in there. Um, I'm, I'm debating. I, I, you know, I am a fanboy. And so because of the immense amount of fan service, I'm debating between an A and an A+. And the only reason I'm debating between an A and an A+, is definitely that fourth episode where they lean so heavily on the tropes that it that it tips over into like the uncanny valley of tropishness, and so I I think I'm going to stick with a solid A. It, okay. it is the most popular show in the world, and those first four episodes are a great example of why. All right. Oh, uh, 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 uh. so um, dang it! I hate doing the whole. I like what he said. I. I... I'll have what he's having, like, but uh, really, the build-up um, chapter. If we're just looking at, are we just looking at chapter one? Or are we looking at the entire, like, chapter one, two, three, first four, four episodes? One, first four, four episodes. episodes. Okay. Uh, so looking at chapters one, two, and three, personally for me, that was such a beautiful execution of a story. Chapter two, uh, the struggle, the the learning more of the child, and oh yeah, and and developing the man Mando's character as he comes to grips with who he was as an orphan and that he now has to fight against what he probably felt was fighting against his religion because 
he was a member of the guild. And we, I, I know I've always kind of assumed that Mandalorians are part of the guild. Now we're obviously seeing that the guild is not part of the Mando religion and that they came back to save him. That even though his quote unquote sin, like to, to steal the child, uh, wasn't the sin of the sin. It was giving up the child. And it was so powerful. I just, I loved the development of that story. I, uh, yes, it did have those fan tropes. I would give uh, episode or chapters one, two, and three uh, a resounding A plus. I agree. Resounding. Uh, the only reason that I would lower my grade, um, and I would lower it to probably, <laughs> if I'm being really harsh, an A minus because of Sanctuary. Because no, no, you know what? It, it does bring it back to an A because Sanctuary was still good. It was not part of that uh, that trilogy that was so powerful for me. And it kind of left me still hungry while every other episode left me satisfied from both a fan standpoint, from a storyteller standpoint, as a, and as a filmmaker standpoint. It, all three of them. Uh, and as a whole, they left me satisfied. Uh, episode four, chapter four, Sanctuary, left me wanting a little bit. Um, but it is still a resounding A as a whole series. And I cannot wait. And I'm trying not to get too excited because I don't want to build it up. I don't I, I don't want to be like, it's the greatest thing ever and then have it fall crumble apart, you know. <laughs> and so because really, it's just it's just good. It's a good story. It's it's set in the Star Wars universe without taking away from it um, and without necessarily adding a lot of crazy new concepts. It's just building on classic concepts of both yes. storytelling and the Star Wars fandom. Um and it does so so well. It, you know, I'm I'm sticking with an A A plus. I'm sticking with an A plus, even with Sanctuary. Ooh, wow. I'm 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 saying this builds it up. It's this is uh, right next it, when they release this on DVD. It's going right next to Return of the Jedi. Uh, nice. For me. Nice. All right. Um, to wrap this up, I agree. First three episodes are fantastic. It really uh, delivers a great story. You have great character development. You have a great plot that has both the small plot lines for each episode, but then the overall art till the end of uh, the third episode. We have great uh, development in the world, uh, in the world building around us as we're trying to learn what things are like uh, post-Jedi. And... It's fantastic. Episode four is the week. The week. Um, I had to watch it three times before I could see the entire episode. I fell asleep two times <laughs> I watched it. It just disinterested me that much, which is sad because, like, the first three, I was just, like, glued to the television. Um, you know, I went second time thinking, okay, it must have been a fluke. I was just really tired. Nope, fell asleep again. Always in the same spot. Uh, which is just sad, but uh, I would have to say total. Um, be, even though it is a weak link, it's still a good, solid story. Once I watch through the entire thing, um, it just it does fall a little weak. You know, the widow part. Yeah, it, it could have done without that. There could have been some other reason um, or some other way to develop that character a little bit more and get some more insight. Um, I'd have to say a minus. I'm gonna go with an A minus. It did drag it down quite a bit, in my opinion. But I'm hoping overall it won't be enough at the end of the season to really pull 
He's down. Awesome. Awesome. And just for those who don't know, episode five is out now. Episode yep. uh, six comes out on Friday the 13th. But episode seven breaks the trend and comes out on December 18th, which is a Wednesday. Uh, and then we go back to a Friday release on December 27th for the season finale. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's just because they want to get away from... Uh, they want to get it out before people are traveling for Christmas. Well, actually, I think it can. I think it conflicts with the release of the new Star Wars film, which comes Never out on the twenty. You're that right. Was my thought as well. Now that I think about that, duh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is a smart move. Let's throw this episode out so that we get the most viewership and not compete with our own product. Uh, <laughs> and wouldn't it be crazy if they if they fit something into episode seven on the 18th that very lightly alludes to something connected in episode nine. Wouldn't that be a crazy move? That would be cool. I, I wonder if they would. I really wonder because this is taking place 25 years before Force Awakens. Yeah. 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 So it's if they did anything, it would have to be like sort of like a grassroots kind of reference, right? Like because of, of the nearly three decades span. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I, I I literally just got chills just thinking. <laughs> oh, well, so that great. will be amazing. So, so great. With that said, uh, take a look. View, uh, you know, view the episodes. Let us know your thoughts, uh, your opinions, because those always matter. And then we will return after, uh, well, I guess towards the end of the month, after that eighth episode has released. And... Uh, kind of let you know our thoughts for the second half of the season and uh, final wrap-up, which would be awesome. And then who knows, maybe we'll actually have another show talking about Rise of Skywalker, and we'll see if Scott has just given up on the Star Wars uh, series as a whole, except for this t TV show, or if he'll decide that this last movie was actually worthwhile. I am hopefully optimistic. Pessimistically you know. optimistic? Pessimistically <laughs> optimistic. Cautiously, cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I guess. Okay, okay, we can say cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I'm hopeful. Let's say hopeful. Do you have a new hope? hope? Oh, a new hope. There we go. But uh, I guess we're at the the end of the our time, and uh, with that said, we're out of here. Catch you later. We love you guys. Be epic. Don't suck. <laughs>